Hello, hello to all the good people out there. Welcome once again to another episode of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine, because as I always mention, those are the two things that keep me going. I'm super excited about this season because on season two of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine, we have partnered with the American Advertising Federation and we are going to be doing a four-part series where we are talking to past recipients and inductees of the Advertising Hall of Achievement. On today's show, I'm excited to have one of my good friends, close mentor, brother of mine, Cavell Khan on the show, uh, who is currently the Chief Revenue Officer at Tumblr. Um, he has led a team responsible for building partnerships and also growing revenue at uh, Twitter's largest CPG, advertisers across the US. He's also led efforts at Microsoft. Um, but today, he's definitely going to touch on more so a little bit about what he currently uh, does at Tumblr, and I think that it's going to be really, really exciting. He's also a 2020 Advertising Club of New York Icon Award recipient and has a background um, that is very, very fascinating from ultimately how he navigated from what was ultimately kind of being a security guard to where he's at right now. So we're gonna dive in um, a little bit about that as well. Cavella served as a chair of the advisory board of Ad Color, nonprofit uh, focused on diversity and advertising. And he is also a member of several different community organizations. So my brother, welcome to the show. How's it going this morning? Hey, dude, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Doing well, doing well. Can't, it's a new year and, and nothing but upside, you know? So I'm excited. I know, I know. Tell me about it. And I think before we before we even dive into anything, I need to set down just some some foundation on how long we've known each other. I don't even know if you know this, but it's really eight years that we've been in communication, which is absolutely insane. I think the first time that I met you was like 2015, 2016. And um I, I, you know, I think that we all we always talk about giving people their flowers, uh, you know, when they're around. And in this case, I guess I'll, I, I have to I have to get my racks up to one day try to try to repay you for uh, the impact that you have personally had on on my career and where I'm at today. So if anything, I know we're going to dive into a great conversation, but I do just want to say thank you um, sincerely uh, for everything. Hey, hey, I do, man. The day I met you, you were already a star. I just, I just said, I just said, how can I help you shine brighter, bro? That's 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 all I did. Oh man, well, listen, I I, I appreciate it. Trust me, the the pandemic has dimmed the light a little bit, but I see the light coming back this year. Hopefully, this is like a I hear you. <laughs> um, but for the people at home listening, um, I know that I probably did not do your bio justice. Please let them know um who you are. Yeah, so I think as you mentioned, I currently uh, chief revenue officer at Tumblr. I've been here since May of 2020, so starting a job during the pandemic, and also one month after my wife gave birth to my second son, Christopher. Uh, so it was a it was a hell of a time to be going through a lot of big life changes. Um, but my role um, at the company uh, since since May of 2020 is to really help. Uh, Tumblr and lead the efforts, the strategy and other efforts of how Tumblr can connect the value that is being created by its audience um, back to uh, our advertising and other partners who are looking to find new and differentiated ways 
to drive value for their customers and consumers in their efforts to drive their business growth. So that's that's the in in a nutshell what my, what my remit is. Uh, and so I sit across a number of different teams. I lead the you know the, the core sales team, the brand partnerships team, uh, the client services team. I run operations. I also lead our uh, business marketing efforts, uh, our our partnerships, our, our media partnerships team, um, and uh, also our greater ad tech and programmatic partnerships uh, roll into me. So that's that's my remit and uh, driving that. And it's an interesting opportunity. It's about you know business transformation, taking a really awesome brand that has sustained for consumers and drive value for consumers, and it's all about you know the passion. You know, real people and and, and their passion uh, and coming together on the platform around those passions and creating that passion in a creative way uh, and, and driving that and how that can be a valuable um, way for brands to connect uh, as you know it becomes harder and harder, especially with Gen Z, to build those connections. So that's that's the goal and that's what we're here to drive and bring bringing you know since 2020 we've returned from a, a B2B perspective. But we've never gone anywhere from a consumer perspective. We've always been a platform with, you know, hundreds of millions of, of users. So that's that's the role today. Uh, and outside of that, as you mentioned, and I'm sure we'll talk about later, you know, since, you know, the inception of my career being a black person in this industry, um, have also focused on what are the things that I can do to help others. This industry has been so wonderful to me. I, I am so blessed and grateful every day when I wake up. Uh, that I found my lane because uh, it took a long time to find that lane. Um, and so I, I want to help others who have uh, similar passion and drive uh, to realize that this is an industry uh, where they can find success and, and, and so do a lot of work outside of the day job to try to facilitate that. Ah, wonderful, wonderful. And huge congratulations on the news, uh, new position, excuse me. You know, um, I'm pretty sure that you read about it, whether it's CNN or even seeing it on LinkedIn, but a lot of people are talking about the great resignation and also this being a time that a lot of people are switching jobs. Um, what do you think is one of the things that you think people should be uh, considering when it comes to actually starting a new job during the pandemic? Because that's new news to me. I didn't, I totally forgot that you started during the pandemic, but is there anything that you kind of, looking back realize okay this is an opportunity or something that people should be aware of yeah you know there's a, a saying i don't know who said it that never let a good crisis go to waste and mm -hmm. you know starting during a time of upheaval really focuses you and focuses your efforts uh and so when you're starting in a position you're already starting with the mindset of you know there's a lot of change happening there's a lot of challenge happening uh and so you intuitively where you sort of come into a company normally and like, what's my 30 day plan and my 60 day and my 90 or my first hundred days, pick whatever model you want, you know, coming in during a time of, of change and during the pandemic. And if you remember in 2020, we're in the advertising business, a lot of advertisers were being hurt. You know, everyone was staying home, their whole industries, you know, like the restaurant and travel industries that were just completely, you know, uh, in, in in decline because of the impact of the pandemic. Uh, and so that had a ripple effect throughout the country and the economy and, and definitely so in our world and what we do. Uh, and so it really gave me an opportunity to just really laser focus on uh, rigorous prioritization. What is it that we needed to do? Um, but it also had a bright spot to it in that, 
you know, the expectations that I came into, the recognition by the leadership team that hired me that, hey, this is a pandemic and we realize we're asking you to, you know, go through business transformation during a pandemic. I was given enough leeway because of the, the, the pandemic and the, the challenges that that created from an advertising perspective uh, to be able to build uh, in a way that maybe I wouldn't have had um, it, had there not been uh, a pandemic in place that was having the type of impact. So knowing that certain things weren't going to happen overnight because the pandemic was preventing that allowed us to sort of build in certain ways that we probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do. Uh, without it. So, you know, you got to find your bright spots. And as I said, you know, never, never let a good crisis go to waste and, and leverage uh, where you can scale and where you can grow based on what's happening around you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know a lot of people wanting to make that uh, jump. And like I said, I think that now is the best time for us to rewrite the rules in terms of how we are working and the way that we're working. So um, that's yeah. important to know. Um, where and, and one of the interesting things, yes, if okay. I could touch on it, one of the interesting things about where I work, so Tumblr, many people don't know this, Tumblr was bought by a company called Automatic, which is a holding company of WordPress, which, you know, something like 40% of the internet runs on WordPress's code and CMS. Um, Automatic, started by Matt Mullenweg, started out as a, you know, distributed company. So we don't really have offices. We now have one office in New York. But, you know, prior to that, we the company has never really had offices outside of a small corporate office that's necessary. Um, and so everyone worked from home. And so it was also an amazing experience for me coming from traditional workplaces into a company that was already, you know, that had no, you know, everyone was talking about the future of work and how do we work. Yeah, and here I landed yeah. at Automatic and I was like, oh, we already have this figure out. We've been doing it from the beginning. We understand asynchronous communication. We understand how to leverage different time zones. We understand what tools and, and process changes need to be in place uh, in order for you to run a distributed company. And so I actually spent a lot of time early days learning that and, and, and adapting uh, to that, which was great. And even having great conversations with, you know, leaders at agencies and other places who were like, hey, how, do you, how are you all doing it? You all seem to have, you know, the know how to do this really well because Matt was one of those original folks who, you know, championed this distributed work. So I think that's a, that's a great change that has happened uh, that folks are leaning into that allows for people to be successful during this time uh, and, and the conditions that the pandemic has created. Amazing. Amazing. You know, I feel like um, as I look at your uh, LinkedIn and try to do the best research that I can, like I said, I told you earlier, I, I re I'm really trying to channel my Arsenio Hall with this show. I think I'm getting <laughs> the, more, the more that I practice it. But you spend, you have a 15 year career. And I really believe that the foundation of who we are and where we come from really allows us to sustain longevity in so many different areas of our life. So for the people listening at home, where are you from? Yeah, so I am originally from Jamaica, uh, and I'm not from Kingston. I grew up uh, in a few places, places, you know, Montego Bay, Savlamar, Hanover, bounced around a little bit. Uh, but I was, born, I was born and raised in, in Jamaica and came to the United States, to New York, uh, when I was in high school and grew up in Central Islip, uh, went to all sort of state schools. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, had a, graduated during another interesting time in 2001. That was when the first sort of internet bubble 
uh, popped and crashed. Uh, and, you know, found myself in a precarious position where economy was in decline. And as a recent college grad, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. And so, you know, just did whatever I needed to do. And as you mentioned, one of my first jobs was just like taking a security guard job. You know, it, it was, believe it or not, that was the job that I could get. And I, I was submitting hundreds of resumes to many companies trying to get an internship and trying to get into I studied communication in undergrad and was and, and interned at, you know, in TV. And so I was trying to get, uh, uh, what do you call it, a, a production assistant uh, role. But yeah, it, it just wasn't happening for me. I was not connected. I didn't know the right people. You know, I, even though I had this great internship from ABC, it didn't translate itself into me be, being a PA. And so I, you know, I refused to sit at my mom's house and do nothing. Uh, and so I would, you know, when I wasn't working as a security guard, uh, I was sending out resumes. Uh, and then, you know, something that you won't see on my LinkedIn <laughs> is I also kind of just started a company. I started a production company on my own because I was like, well, if no one's going to hire me, I'm just going to make something myself. And that led me to grad school and grad school led me to the industry uh, with my first role at, at Microsoft. Wow. What was the interest in, um, I guess, the tech industry um, to begin with? What was it that you really noticed or that sparked? Because if I'm if I'm correct, when you're talking about production, I guess you're talking about film, television, and then PA is a production yes. assistant on site. So I'm kind of curious to know what was the, um, the 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 spark that made you kind of pivot the direction that you wanted to go in with your career. Yeah, I would say my first few years after college was really unknown. You know, I didn't I didn't have a lane. I had things that I liked. You know, I had things that I had studied in undergrad and that was interesting. I, I, I have, you know, I had this create desire and passion around creativity and I love music and all this other stuff that, you know, most people do. Um, and so when I started this little, you know, production company, you know, being from Jamaica, I created... Uh, a pilot uh, for a, a music show around dancehall music. Uh, and this is before, you know, obviously before tech and Instagram and all this stuff, because, you know, none of that existed by then. You had to either put it on, you know, public access or try to, you know, go to an MTV or a BET uh, to try yeah. to get your, your, your show on. And, and I, I was going through that process and met some, some great people. And along that journey, what became clear to me uh, and what I did learn in undergrad is, hey, this is not just about the passion and the music and the creativity. If you're going to do it on your own, you have to build a business. And through learning and, and reading, I realized that I needed to increase my business acumen. And, you know, the only way I was going to build a show that was going to work is if I can prove that marketers and advertisers were interested in that audience. And so going back to grad school and getting my MBA in marketing, and on, uh, I did a double major in marketing and entrepreneurship. You know, through that process, time was changing. One, technology is what sparked my interest. I realized that technology w started to disseminate the sort of independent production company business. You know, it went from, you know, I, I had a, uh, a friend of mine who brought me in to help out with his business and he had a larger, you know, production company than, than I did. And, you know, they went from producing videos for, you know, you know, five figures, um, like EPKs, sorry, um, and, and all these other things and, and shooting video and charging a nice premium to, you know, 
the advent of the you know the Apple Mac being more powerful and Photoshop, uh, not Photoshop, um, what's it called, uh, Final Cut Pro, allowing companies to take that business in-house, right? Like so, technology was actually eating uh, away at a at a business that had existed for a while. And so when I was in grad school, uh, this was during the time where, you know, the MySpace and the, the, the Friendster and, and all that stuff were starting to pop LinkedIn. You know, I think when I was in uh, grad school uh, in, was that, 2004, um, was, was starting to pop as a thing. And I really was drawn to it. You know, it was one of the big topics. Even though I was doing a marketing uh, MBA, a lot of what we were talking about was the impact of technology uh, on marketing. And through that is how I discovered uh, through one of my professors, I knew nothing about digital marketing, right? Like digital marketing existed long before 2004, 2005, uh, but I, I, it was just not on my radar. And that's a virtue of how I was brought up and what my circle and my family was able to teach me about versus what, you know, someone else did. And, you know, school definitely didn't teach me about it. Uh, and so I got really, it, it just sparked something in me. Um, and so I got really interested in it. And through that course, I learned about display marketing, search marketing, and, you know, it, it, it just, it got into me, you know, it got into me and then it, it led to the opportunity at Microsoft. Oh man, amazing. So we talk about Microsoft and then you were also at Twitter where I know that you um, did a lot um, in, in regards to the ERG group with the Blackbirds and then also at Tumblr, but I think through that journey, there's so much that you're learning. And earlier you mentioned that, you know, in 2001, you you do, you're familiar, you remember the, the whole internet bubble. And now in 2022, we are um, talking about NFTs and so many other things that are just absolutely amazing. Um, I think within that 20 year, 20 year span, what are some of the major changes um, that you've noted uh, and I or notice, excuse me, and I know that that's a bit of a loaded question. And trust me, I, I talk to a lot of senior level executives and they even look at me a little insane, which I which I'm getting used to. But I think <laughs> I think that there's so much out there to to chew on and everybody is like focused on something different. But I, I do want to know what are some of the, the biggest changes that you personally notice? Uh, yeah, that, that is a big question. You know, I'll, I'll narrow it, the focus a bit to sort of the digital advertising space and, and the technology companies that play in that space. A lot of, especially my experience, you mentioned, you know, Twitter, Tumblr, Microsoft, uh, Vice Media also, it has been a lot of social media um, and, and what impact that has had. Um, and so, one of the things I'd say that I noticed is in 2005 when I joined Microsoft and portals were the king, right? It was MSN, it was, a, you know, AOL, it was Yahoo. Uh, those were sort of the entry points to the internet versus what it is today. Um, there was, that was a time where I think there was a lot of differentiation um, and people were really experimenting to try to understand how can the internet, how can the web um, build and create positive experiences for the consumer. And I think there was a real consumer-centric focus to the innovation and the technology that was being uh, developed. Uh, and I think, you know, you look 10 years forward from that, that is why some of the companies that are the largest companies now uh, whether it's Google and YouTube or 
you know, Facebook and Instagram or Twitter, you, you name them, the companies that we all talk about and use and spend so much of our time on. Um, I think that environment um, gave the space for those companies to develop and grow over time. And when, to, when you're talking about differences, when I look at where we are today, you know, there is still innovation happening in a lot of spaces, but I see, from my perspective, I see a lot more sameness taking place. You know, someone will launch one feature and within three months, every platform has replicated that feature. You look at the, just during the pandemic, the, the clubhouse phenomena and how, you know, that feature, that audio feature was kind of replicated in so many places. Yeah. Uh, or you look at the, they, they, they kicked me out of a couple of rooms, but that's a, that's another, yes. <laughs> um, or you look at some, a feature like stories feature, right? Like the stories feature has permeated itself, not just in sort of consumer technology, but even, you know, LinkedIn has kind of a stories feature now. Uh, and so the differentiation and the opportunity that differentiation has to create new consumer experiences that are valuable. Uh, it's something that I think is different. I, I see a little bit more sameness. I see a lot more following, fast following, which makes sense because these companies have matured and they now are, are huge business and they're reliant on advertising uh, primarily uh, as a way to provide the services for free to the consumer. And that's a fair value exchange right and from my perspective i don't think anything is wrong with that uh but the the focus in some ways on the technology innovation is less about the consumer experience and the value there uh and more about sort of the business uh and what's happening uh and so i think even to call out another competitor you know uh tiktok part of why i think it's so successful is because it, it has differentiated its product right born out of musically and now turned into TikTok, it, it, it's a different experience. It's taken some good cues from other places, but it's fundamentally, you know, to me, outside of the full screen experience, a very different experience in technology uh, than some of the other stuff that's out there. And if I toot our horn, you know, this year is the 15 year anniversary of Tumblr. And part of Tumblr, what, what was created was, you know, to be the canvas for creativity and not to have these limitations. And part of the reason I think we're sustained is because there's still that uh, offering within Tumblr that, you know, it may not be 2 billion people, but, you know, those folks who are creative led and who are focused on creation and on experience, um, not on, you know, performance or anything else, they still value the ability to create and still find the differences in the platform to be appealing and to fix a need that they have that they're not finding somewhere else. And so that's a big change I've, I've seen, you know, um, is this switch in how you allow sort of companies to come up? Because think about it between, you know, the companies I named, the, the snaps and the, the, you know, Twitters and all of those, there's been a real gap in like companies that have been born and allowed to grow. You know, TikTok is backed by a massive, massive multi-billion dollar company. You know, you don't see that sort of, um, small companies being given the opportunity to learn and grow and develop something that's unique quite the same way that you know companies the ones i listed before were were given that opportunity and, and that's another change that i think tech is we got to start differentiating and innovating uh more and i know there's people out there doing that they just don't get the 
the groundswell or the runway uh, to, to experiment and learn. No, absolutely. Um, do you kind of feel, kind of going back to what you were talking about Tumblr, and I think what you kind of were, were mentioning, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that there's a, a love for creators to just be able to create. Um, you know, as somebody yeah. who is a creator, um, I, what I do realize is that there are so many guardrails that I think that some companies have put in place that prohibit creators from creating. And so my question to you is, do you think that that is another thing that has also been a huge change within the span of, you know, 20 years of, of just tech and internet culture and social media is that the creator is not really being able to lead the conversation um, as much as they used to. Yeah, I think I think the term creator has been bastardized, honestly. Uh, you know, I think I, I, you know, I there are. I mean, if you look at what we now call the creator economy and influencers, I think that's a little bit different. Uh, than what the term creator, when it was originally being used, and Tumblr was one of the first to create that, um, what was being referenced there. So, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just think it's changed fundamentally. Uh, you know, now influencers, creators, quote unquote, are focused, the cameras tends to be turned on them. And it's about their experience and what they're doing. And there's obviously a massive audience for that. And again, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying mm -hmm. that's what it is. And so the platforms have created those tools. It's a front facing camera. You know, it's about, you know, perfection and follow what's polished or it's about performance and following what's popular. Whereas with Tumblr uh, and what, you know, when we talked about creation before, it was more about self-expression. It wasn't, it wasn't about sort of just looking at you and how you're living your life and some of the interesting things that you're doing. It's about creating things and putting into the world that is considered in any format, whether that's written, you know, visual, you know, illustrations, audio, you name it. Uh, it had more breadth uh, to it, and it was about sharing uh, your passions, and it was about self-expression in a different way versus how it's now. And so that's where I think the creator, to your point, you know, the, the platforms are, are just building towards what they see is happening because again they're building businesses and so giving breath uh i don't think is always the best sort of solution based on their business goals and what they're trying to achieve and so therefore to your point there is a box there right there is a box that's being created for what you can do and how you can do it uh, because of that dynamic and it's based on what you know consumers are consuming and so they're just following the trends and leveraging the the data that they have to continue to build a business around that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow, so so much uh, ground covered. Um, and I even say that as, as somebody that loves to create, whether it's a podcast or even my my book that I have coming out next month, um, I, I hey. back to that. Yes, it is called Work in Progress. It will be out 2-22-22. So um, excited about Great that. Great title, man. Thank you so much. Pre-order available now. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I think um, I'm excited to have you on the show because as I mentioned, this is a series that we're doing. It's a four-part series with the advertising or the American Advertising Federation. And on today's show, one of the things that I 
did want to make sure that we touch on is generational wealth, also savings, and I think talk about money, a topic that sometimes, especially um, within um, various different communities, is a little um, a bit vague or we don't like to talk about. So yeah. Talk about that with you today and also um, navigating through um, a lot of different conversations. So let's start off with this. What are some early things that you realized about salary negotiation earlier in your career that now or even you continue to keep top of mind um, that you wish you always uh, kept top of mind um, to begin with? I, I'll tell you a bunch of cliche things, but like those things are cliches because they are real and true. Like yeah. you're not going to find a lot of places that are going to give you what you don't ask for. It's just not, if you ask them for X salary, you know, and that's where you put your bar, they're going to give you X salary. It's rare that you'll find organizations that's going to give you something different. Every, every role has a band, right. And it's based on a number of factors uh, in, in most companies. I can't speak for every company in the world, obviously. But, you know, there's usually a salary band somewhere um, and, you know, you get sort of within that band and, you know, if you ask something within that band, then they'll give you, you know, where you are. If you are asked something outside the band, company may not be able to give you that. But I think it's always a good thing to negotiate and in negotiating, show your value uh, as part of that negotiation and why, you know, you are worth um, that amount that you are asking for and that you're pushing for. And I'll tell you, um, my, I learned, I learned very early on, like literally before I got into the industry, I've, I've never had this experience again. And it, it, it's quite interesting is that when I took the offer at, at, at Microsoft, I was so, so, so freaking happy. It was like a new beginning for me. I said yes right away, right? Like I didn't negotiate anything. I said yes right away. Yes. And there was a, about a week or two, uh, period between um, when I said yes and when I started and during that time the leader uh, of, of the group and I was a junior person right so I deserved the junior salary I didn't know anything they, they were giving me a tremendous opportunity so um, but in we were at a dinner <laughs> um, oh gosh I don't know if I should even reveal this but I am uh, we were at a dinner and I was so eager I was so hype I was full of energy and drive and during that dinner, the you know the the leader at the time, I think saw my passion, saw a little bit more than in an interview setting about what my potential would be in the in the company, um, and I left the dinner not thinking about it and got a call the next day and they were like, hey, we're actually going to give you a little bit more money. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, and it was like you know this person was very impressed by the things that you said uh, during the dinner and, you know, we, we were going to give you a little bit more to give you a greater incentive to bring that in, in the week when you start uh, and hit the ground running. And it was like, Oh, wow. You know, it hadn't even have crossed my mind to ask for more money, you know? Um, and, and so again, it's, it's about knowing your worth and it's about knowing what you bring to the table. Uh, but you're not going to get what you don't ask for. You know, uh, I think one thing I will say though, is that, what I, I admire with salaries now that's happening, and it has a long way to go, is I see more companies being firm and not negotiating salaries when they actually are ensuring that there is 
gender parity and other parity in the salary. So they, they don't negotiate it and they give you their last and best offer because it matches what everyone else um, at that level is making. And it's, how, it's one way that they're ensuring that you're getting best offer, uh, but you're, that you're also being brought in in an equitable way with, with your peer set with similar experience and level. So that's something that I know is starting to happen and change, um, which is which is a good thing. And in those cases, yeah, you might hear we don't negotiate, but it's for you know a very good a good reason. Yeah, you know, I feel like so much of the story that you just told actually is you just authentically being yourself, but also it's a little bit of a performance review that you didn't necessarily want or expect at the time, but was happening. I think that it would be great to touch on um how people could think about um strategically approaching um performance reviews and during a performance review if they have you know um concerns about their salary or even their 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 bonus or different things that are coming up things that they should keep top of mind yeah um uh, i'll talk about it from two different angles i mean i'm in a leadership role so i'll touch on it from a leadership role and then i'll start touching it from a individual contributor uh, role one when it comes to performance reviews from a leader perspective i've always had my own kpi which is if i'm giving folks a performance review whether it's mid-year end of year you know whatever it may be and there are surprises in that review i've kind of failed at my job um at least that part of my job uh you know you should be ongoing giving real-time feedback ensuring that people understand where they are uh the expectations of their performance uh and giving them concrete examples it's it's about the behavior it's not about the person right and so framing feedback around behavior not around people and providing that in real time i try as a leader sometimes i fail um to have at least you know two to three examples of, of a behavior uh, before i give that feedback to to an, to an employee so that they have a few concrete examples there and can understand and I can frame it properly. So that's that's one point I'll just make on that since, you know, I think there's a lot of work we all can do around performance reviews to help folks. On the other side, the preparation, what I would say is that as an IC, you know, or in your role, you should have clarity around what the expectations are and the time horizons around that expectation. Uh, and you should track it. I think something that's very simple, and I know that your audience is broad, there's folks who are early on, there's folks who are senior, but across that spectrum, I bet you not everyone is sitting and writing down, like, here's the things that I did, here's what I accomplished, um, and keeping track of that, because we are incredibly busy, we're an incredibly smart industry, we are full of amazing people who are doing phenomenal work, and we're also high achieving and high performing uh, as a whole, from my perspective, and so when you're operating at that level, a lot of things you're doing, you're not even remembering to keep track of it. And so trying to find time at the end of a week or, you know, every two weeks or whatever that cadence is for you to just jot down what I did so that come performance review time, you can match. Here's what I did versus expectations. And in some cases, it might give you clarity. You might walk into that performance review self-aware and said, I outperformed, I underperformed, or I met performance, right? Like you might walk in there knowing that, you know, by looking at what you were able to achieve over over that time. I know everyone wants to think that they, you know, outperformed 
you know, every, every quarter or every year, but you know, we, we don't, we don't always underperform. Sometimes you meet performance and sometimes you miss performance. I've definitely missed performance and underperformed at different times during my career and grateful for the feedback that I got that allowed me to change that course and get back to, you know, performing at the standard that I hold for myself. But that's a, a quick thing that I know enough people do not do is take that time to reflect and write down what it is that they're working on, what they're doing and what they're accomplishing uh, and putting some measurement around it so that when it comes time to write your performance review, it is numbers based, it's facts based, it has concrete examples. And so if you did outperform and you need to make the ask for why you should be promoted or get a salary, you have the data, you know, to, to back it up. Absolutely. One final question. Um, last question. You know, we're, we're talking about salary. We're talking about performance. A lot of that is, you know, tied to what you're making. Um, generational wealth is a, is, a, is a conversation and a topic that I think comes up a lot. What is your definition of that? And how have you um, almost, um, I guess, uh, really kind of dived into that personally, um, if, if you, that's something you want to touch on, but we'd love to hear your thoughts around it for sure, for the people listening. Sure. I, I, you know, I'll say this. I tell people all the time when I have conversations, I have two purposes in life and it took me a long time to, to realize my purpose. One is to do for others. You know, that's, that's how I'm built. My mom was a teacher and then a nurse, like my father was always doing for other folks. And so it's, ingrained in me from from that background but the second is making money you know i come from humble enough beginnings in jamaica and i've done well enough in my life i'm not there yet don't get me wrong uh, i'm still working uh hard to to provide uh but i i like the latter versus the former right like i it, it is we we're too scared to talk about money sometimes money is an important part of life we live if anyone lives in a democratic capitalist, you know, economy, like money matters. And, and it's not the only thing. Uh, it's not the most important thing, but it gives you options and it gives you the ability to achieve a lot of things uh, that you want to achieve. It gives you freedom. It gives you time. You know, when I, I, when I left Twitter, um, I took a, some time off and I would not have been able to do that if I didn't have enough savings to allow me to say, I'm just not going to work for a little while. I'm going to relax spend time with family. So money has its benefits. And I think we act like money is the worst thing in the world when in our economy and in our country and our freedom, like it, it's important and we should stop act, treating it that way. So that's one thing I'll say. Uh, the second thing as it relates to generational wealth, for me, generational wealth is, you know, I, again, my mom was a teacher in Jamaica. She was a, a nurse here. My dad, you know, worked, worked in the factory, you know, in the United States, he works in the, in the soccer room. I don't come from, you know, a lot of money. So my, my advice is based on where, what my background is. Um, and so if you are in the bucket of, hey, hardworking, you know, family that wanted to give you an opportunity, sent you off to college so you can have a better life, it may take you a while before you understand, you know, the importance of money and how to think about it long term. Uh, and so for me, it is, there's a great, so going back to Microsoft, Steve Ballmer, I can't remember what year it was, I remember getting on stage at MGX uh, and touted the fact that at that time, Microsoft had six $20 billion divisions. And, and plus a whole bunch of other ones that were like five, 10, 15 billion, right? Uh, and the same strategy that a corporation uses, which is having differentiated lines of revenue, 
to sustain the company so that if it one goes down, you have a bunch more to keep you going is the same principle that we should be applying to our own personal wealth and generational wealth. Uh, having a salary and a great job is great and awesome and it's a blessing. But if something happens and the world decides we're not hiring Cavell anymore, that can't be my only, you know, source of revenue uh, to take care of my family. Otherwise, you know, you'll, I'll be, you know, homeless essentially in a, in a matter, in, in a matter of time. Um, so, my advice is start early with thinking about the different ways uh, that you can um, create wealth for yourself. And I think a lot of people do, you know, one is obviously, if, you, if again, my advice comes from if you're starting with, you know, humble means like, like I did, then, you know, the first one is earning dollars, you know, and working for the dollars, getting a great job. And then the second piece is how do you get the dollars to work for you? How do you invest it? There's obviously now we live in a time where there's, the stock market, there's crypto, there's NFTs, there's there's so much ways now that if you're early and younger in your career, and even if you're not, frankly, you can make some long-term bets that can have really good payoff. It may pay off, it may not, but at least make the bet and make strategic bets and start small, experiment small. Um, you know, when I started investing, I only had like $3,000, you know, I didn't have a ton of money uh, and I lost some of it and I, and I made some money with others. and. I learned, I learned small and I made mistakes small and over a, you know, a 15 year period, I learned a lot more. And so I make a little bit less mistakes now. You got to give it time, but you have to start, you have to start doing different things. There's so many avenues now, you know, where, where I'm at and I'm fortunate to be here. I have the opportunity. Yes, I'm working, but I also have, you know, multiple investments. I do some angel investing, right? I do, you know, real estate investing. I do a, a number of different uh, ways, obviously stocks. And, you know, there's a, there's quite a bit of financial instruments that are out there to help build generational wealth um, and, and allow you to leave something that generations after you, hence the term, can build upon. And there, you know, my, my children won't have the same starting place when it comes to money that I had, right? They're going to start in a very different position and hopefully able to scale up and continue to grow that for them and their families. And hopefully, as I said, my first purpose is doing for others is not just their lives aren't just about making money for themselves, but they're using it to do good in the world. You know, money does, again, people forget that, allow you to do a lot of good uh, in the world if you invest it in the, in the right places. Awesome. Cavell, thank you so much for uh, joining. I can't thank you enough, my brother. You have been absolutely uh, phenomenal, like I said, to so many far and wide. Everybody at home, thank you once again for listening to another dose of Black Joy and Caffeine, where we are having phenomenal guests from the Advertising Hall of Achievement. Please tune in next week with another amazing guest. And um, as always, stay safe, drink water, and talk soon. Bye-bye. All right, take care.